Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Buzz here on Supply Chain Now. I'm Kelly Barner sitting in for Scott Luton, but I'm thrilled to have you with me, Greg. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you as the adult in the room for this. <laughs> so this Which, is always so fun. We get, and we, we get also, to hear totally new perspectives. And we don't want to make it sound like more than it is. Being the adult in the room basically means having a mouse and being able to tell time. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't actually guarantee any level of conversation, <laughs> sophistication. I'll probably try not to fall in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and yeah. we actually have a whole bunch of stuff we're going to talk about today, um, including... You and I are both going to figure out if we know anything between us about the USFL, a little bit of right. spring football. If going anyone on. does. Exactly. I know. <laughs> so as as we're going in and getting started, can see folks have already popped up and started saying hi in the chat. Uh, feel free to educate Greg and I. We're trying to navigate this USFL thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw to you on this first, Greg, because you were sharing back in the green room that this is actually sort of a reincarnation of something that already existed before that I'm just now discovering as new because I didn't notice the other time they tried it. <laughs> well, <laughs> Kelly, truthfully, you could have been in grade school when they tried it last because the USFL um, la last was in the 80s. So the great and most famous player of the old USFL is Herschel Walker, running for Senate now, by the way, but the great running back from the University of Georgia. Um, he actually played in the USFL before he came over to the NFL, and ultimately the USFL failed. But I see that, that, that the mere specter of failure has not stopped them from doing it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> the same teams. The New Jersey Generals, Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, all names from that league. I don't know why I remember that. And I don't remember if any of these other teams actually existed in the previous league. Are there only eight teams? I don't know. There's not um, a lot. I, I think that there are about as many fans <laughs> in the stands as there are teams in the league. Um, from looking at the highlight reel, which opened with a field goal, and a fumble to give you an idea. <laughs> so, um, and I got to tell you, Kelly, I'm a little bit burned by the old, uh, what did I call it? The League of Untalented Players uh, <laughs> League that occurred during COVID that was supposed to have been funded for three years that lasted eight weeks. Was that the one that was supposed to be really aggressive? Like, we're promising it's going to be more aggressive than normal football? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, it was really hard to watch, honestly, Kelly. It was terrible. And Amanda, uh, you know, to give us an idea of how <laughs> people have tried to adapt football, um, talked talked about arena football, which <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, this is hilarious. She said, is like watching football at the circus, <laughs> <laughs> which is the perfect description for arena football. And probably a lot more entertaining than USFL football. So, and perhaps better attended. 
Yeah, clearly, Everybody likes the circus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And I, I've got to tell you, I've, I think if you watch enough highlights or enough of these games, you will get a look at the quality of the stands for a few stadiums around the country because nobody is watching these games as near as I can tell. People might be watching them on television. Honestly, Kelly, it's week four of the season, and I already forgot that they existed. So <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what to think about it. What, what do you think about it? I mean, you're, you and I, I think, we are blessed to be fans of two of the greatest football teams in the league. So you, the Patriots, and me, the Chiefs. But, um, I mean, what, as a serious, Kelly, as a serious NFL fan, what do you really think about this? Curious. Well, I'm not a serious NFL fan. I would never try to pretend with this audience. I'm a, I'm a NASCAR fan, even though I didn't read I the live, script. I <laughs> Don't ask Kelly what football team. I cheer for the Shrewsbury Patriots. Oh, right? okay. I, I cheer for the very local team, you know, yeah. with the fifth and sixth graders playing on it. With your kids on it. <laughs> with my kids on it. But what I will tell you, what I think you talked about how many people watch the sport. Here's what I think is interesting. Usually these sports end up being something that the different networks fight over, right? Is right. this race going to be on Fox or ESPN, right? There's my NASCAR perspective. These games are being simultaneously broadcast, I think, on Fox Sports and another broadcast channel. To huh. me, that was kind of interesting because usually very telling. and these channels are willing to share. And isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. Yes. How polite. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I don't know how long the games are even, but, you know, everybody's got throwaway time. What day do they play oh, on? Yeah. Um, maybe Saturday. Maybe it's maybe these games are played at 530 in the morning on Sunday instead of those infomercials with <laughs> an actual NFL player. Terry Bradshaw. I mean, it could be that. It um, could be. I hope it's not costing Terry Bradshaw money because he gives so much of it away every season. I know that's right. You could win Terry Bradshaw's money. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, we have Scott away so that you and I get to have a good time. But Greg, I feel like I need to warn you. We are being watched. Of course we are. We are being watched. Yes. Scott is keeping an eye on us. He's in Orlando Scott, you had better be doing something more fun than watching the buzz after and, this. Okay. And more interesting than watching the NF, uh, the USFL, I should say. Yeah, Exactly. Okay. That's right. Um, but if anybody watching wants to educate Greg and I, we're open to adding to our USFL knowledge. Uh, we also have Dr. Ronza hmm. Bumpenza Zimmerman with us. Happy Monday to you, Dr. Yeah. Ronda. Thank you for being here. And oh, a, we've a true got athlete. A, Maybe, maybe Rhonda, you could play in the USFL. It or looks join like the you circus. could use a quarterback, and we know <laughs> you can run. So, uh, so you just never know. I would suggest you don't do that to yourself. <laughs> and we've got Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Longtime listener, first time live streaming. Oh, don't let good. us ruin your faith in the supply chain now family of programming. <laughs> this is going to be a wild start to the week. And, but we are going to get to supply chain, Ryan, so yes. hang tight. Yes, and I'm going to make sure everyone has a good start to their week. I'm going to let Greg talk about China, so buckle up. This is about <laughs> to get interesting. Uh, and I also want to say hi to Kaivan. Hello, Kaivan. Thank you for yeah. all of our regulars that have rejoined us. Right. All right, Greg, you ready? 
Let's do it. Let's, Let's just talk do about something like, meaningful. Right out of the gate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Something mean. <laughs> are you suggesting the USFL and the circus are not meaningful societal institutions? Uh, no. I'm <laughs> suggesting that the circus is meaningful, but the USFL is not. Just to be clear. Okay. Just so we're totally, absolutely clear. Okay. <laughs> so in terms of talking yeah. about something meaningful, maybe a supply chain thing, um, people are starting to panic that they're going to get what they've been hoping for, right? So things in Shanghai have been pretty backed up. And China is basically saying, hey, we're getting ready to clear this backlog. We're going to start sending ships out, sending containers out. So basically, they're saying, heads up, incoming. Mm. And I like that. (laughs) That's that's the technical, right, information. Probably sounds different in Chinese. Um, But currently in L.A., there are 16,000 containers waiting to be loaded onto trucks when there should be about 9,000. Wow. And there is no space available to move this stuff to. So according to, um, and production has the link. I don't know if you guys want to pop this in the chat. Ports race to clear cargo, fearing an overload when China right. lockdowns lift. Less than 1% of the warehousing space in Southern California is currently available. So, Greg, what I want to know from you right off the bat, is it time to panic yet? Um, gosh, I, you know, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know that panic helps anything. Is, is, would it be a natural response to panic? Yes, especially historically for yes. supply chain professionals. Historically, yes, that's exactly what they would do is panic. But the truth is, it's going to be what it's going to be. Or as our friends in New York, Kelly, like to say, it is what it is. So um, I, I think what we have to recognize is that while um, the, the backup has become huge in China, we have to recognize that I believe this has little to do with COVID and more mm. to do with penalizing the world's economies for penalizing Russia for their aggression in Ukraine. I mean, it's impossible to believe that China, virtually the only nation in the world that has not condemned uh, Russia in any way, is not complicit in what they're doing. And it and the timing was remarkably similar to a uh, of this lockdown was remarkably close to uh, a, a new set of sanctions that were leveled against Russia. Not unlike China's, some people will recall China's energy crisis that occurred about the time the Paris Accords landed some uh, incredibly damning language about China and and the resolution of that energy crisis that occurred immediately following the removal of that damning language from the energy accords. So, look, we have to recognize that China is going to believe that they can and that they can manipulate the world's economies to do what they want with actions yeah. like this. So, um, they've, they've either reached a tipping point from an economic standpoint where they need to clear the ports for their own purposes, yeah. or, you know, they see something or they've had some communication that, that none of us see. So you asked for it, right. And you knew it was coming. So, um, will that cause issues in the ports? Yes. Do I think that is also intentional on China's part? Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what they want is these ebbs and flows of product so that it continually jams up one way or the other 
the economies of the world that are so subsistent to their, uh, I'm sorry, not subsistent, so subject to their, um, to their supplies, right? So yeah. it's, just, it's just ways in which they keep the pendulum swinging to keep supply chains on the back foot around the world. Yeah. Now, Greg, have I shared with you my working girl theory of how to read the news? Right, no, Melanie but I would Griffith. Love to hear that. Okay. Yeah, so, I remember the movie, of course. Anybody yeah. who hasn't seen Working Girl, don't go watch it right now, but add it to your list for this weekend. You need to go see this movie. She's a secretary and she's on the ferry going to work in New York. And she reads in the paper something about Trask broadcasting, wanting to sell something or trying to grow their business. And elsewhere, she reads something that gives her an idea that suggests Trask should start investing in radio. Now, this is like mind-blowing, apparently, in the 80s. But <laughs> her idea is so wild, and yet it ends up being so successful that the bad guy, Sigourney Weaver, tries to steal the idea from her. So when I read the news, I try to read what's directly on the page, but then what mm-hmm. else is on the page? So I'm prepping for today, Greg, and I had a working girl moment. I'm reading an article about how China's inflation is only at one3 Percent, I think they were saying they're not expected to go above the 3% target inflation rate for the year. And they're achieving that through playing with inventory and also through price controls. And so I started to think to myself, not that China should advertise on radio, but that if they can control prices and if they can control inventory, why can't they control when all these container ships leave Shanghai so that they don't all hit LA at the same time. So I share your skepticism. I think there's, they're doing it on purpose. Um, I, you know, if you have that much control over your economy, you know, freight as it comes and goes, but we on this side of the ocean need to be ready to receive what's about to be incoming because consumers want the stuff that's inside those containers. I think we have to further Kelly, be ready to, uh, for the, inevitable upheaval that it will it will cause and as long as as long as the world's leaders and i think they're doing so appropriately continue to stand up to this yes. dictatorial oppressor putin in his unjustified and illegal war um, then i think we can expect these things to continue to happen both from the russians who could only sustain continue to sustain this war by cash infusions from the Chinese because yeah. their economy is collapsing as we speak. Um, but also because the Chinese see an opportunity to make profit and destabilize the world's economies and governments. And that, of course, works to their benefit. So they're going to continue to do so. Um, you should have heard the conversation halt with with one of my investment advisors today when I mentioned that that was what was going on in China. He just went, yeah, you're crazy. Let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may be crazy, but we're not alone, Greg. Um, or wrong. Or wrong. We may be crazy, but that does not make us wrong. No, right? that's absolutely true. And we've got some comments coming in from the skyboxes that we've got some fellow crazies with us. Yeah. Uh, Josh is is agreeing here. Economic punishment and supply chain manipulation have been around as long as the Silk Road. So Amen. not a new idea. Right. And lest we forget, there's always a, a fun longshoreman strike to look forward to this summer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, and, and to both of those points, there are often manipulations. So I was a, I was a purchasing agent 
for a retailer. And every year, what we tried to predict was which and how many union carbide plants would, would explode and be offline for production for how much time. So, you know, so that they could jack the price of uh, antifreeze, effectively antifreeze up. And we would try to stock up ahead of that. That's, I mean, that became part of our supply chain strategy was stocking up ahead of that. So look, it, the disruption, even manipulation is not new to the supply chain, but, um, there are, um, there are unquestionably ones that are more disruptive, especially with our incredible dependence on China. Agreed. So let's move on to article number two, right? Yeah, because this may actually give us some relief at some point. (laughs) So back during the pandemic, I'm sure you remember this. um, Everybody was like, that's it. We're now going to reshore all manufacturing immediately. There will be no more overseas sourcing, manufacturing, component assembly. We're going to do it all in Des Moines, right? Everything's coming back to the United (laughs) States. Everything. Um, regardless of where those materials are and if suppliers actually exist to provide them to me- domestically. Or um, we could pay for labor at 10 times the rate that yeah. they pay for labor in China, right? Exactly. exactly. So we've got a great example of a real company, Temper Sealy, the mattress company, uh, changing their sourcing strategy to mitigate some of this risk. So uh, the first, I think, takeaway from this article, now we all know, reshoring is a whole lot harder than it looks. You know, Mm -hmm. it sounds like a great idea, but when you actually try to carry it out, very difficult to effectively achieve. Um, So they're diversifying their sourcing and investing in inventory. So here's what I think is interesting, Greg, and and maybe this is where I'll have you start. You know, big, dramatic, they're expecting a $10 million drag on their revenues in Q2 from all this. Right. But if you actually go look at, what this company's revenues are, Temper Sealy, that's about a percent. Right. Right. So they're talking about the 10% drag, but to what extent is that something that they really need to focus on versus sort of reinforcing this existing narrative that it's hard to reshore? And we're going to throw out a number that sounds really big in a consumer market when from a corporate standpoint, 1% is not a yeah, reason and to panic. I- I, I think there there are a couple of things here, and that is one. You're right; they are like so many, and let's face it, this is probably helped by the journalists in some cases. I'm not saying in this one, but hyperbolic um, terminology to get reads or get clicks or get watches or whatever. But you know, I think what's interesting here is is the story of of Tempur-Pedic is they saw this coming, and they did something about it in advance. So they've actually mitigated some of what the impact could be. So I, I, yeah. I am encouraged that there are actually companies thinking like this, that the word safety stock was actually even mentioned in an article by about a manufacturer Yes, is, is a, a huge leap, great leap compared to how manufacturing has typically been done in the past, which is they foist all of the inventory risk to their distributors and retailers who have to carry safety stock while they keep their inventories lean to keep their profit and margins high. Um, so I, I think that they're, I, I don't know that this is indicative of this, but there are at least some realizations going on in the marketplace where companies, 
at the manufacturing and brand tier are mm -hmm. starting to realize that they need to take on some of that risk. Yeah. Because, and Scott and I talked about this last week, Kelly, and I think we talked about this Friday in the team call, there's nowhere to hide. Consumers, all of us know, it doesn't have to be Target's fault if they're out of mattresses. It could be the distributor's fault or it yeah. could in fact be the manufacturer's fault. So there is no, there are no dark spaces in supply chain anymore. So you can't hide from your contribution to the disruption of the supply chain. And I think companies like Temper Sealy are starting to recognize that and counteract and preempt that. And I think it's fair for them to do so, by the way, because manufacturers make a huge portion of the gross and net margins in commerce, whereas a distributor often makes less than zero yeah. to 3% net margin and retailers make anywhere from one to 5% net margin. That's margin after yeah. taxes. Um, manufacturers routinely make double digit net margins, 12, 19, 20% routinely. And I'm not saying that's Temper Sealy, sure. but they are well above five, usually in the nine to 21% range, somewhere in that range. So they can afford to mitigate this risk. The reason that they don't want to is because it's going to hit their stocks. So it's an opportune time now also, Kelly, yeah. because I don't know, I don't follow or own Temper Sealy stock, but I bet it's already been hit. They're piling on right now, Kelly, with that terminology that retail or uh, that uh, revenue is going to be hit now yeah. when the stock's already pressed down to avoid it being pressed down when the stock starts coming back, which it will. I mean, Tempercelia yeah. is not going anywhere. And I would also argue that if, if companies are really serious about whether it's reshoring or changing how they manage inventory to reduce the likelihood of, of stockouts, I also think that to some extent, you have to be willing to go back to the drawing board and design a product that is intended to be, I guess you would say reshored, um, but yeah. manufactured locally, right? There was a, another article this weekend, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, about a European sneaker maker whose whole mission is to manufacture these lines of shoes in country locally. And what they found was that they had to change the design. They had mm -hmm. to alter materials and they had to significantly reduce the number of, I guess you'd say, components about shoes. And then even on top of all that, they faced difficulty and disruption and they had to partner to get these other materials made. And they're selling the shoes for $200 a pair, which most, so it's a specialty kind of product. Right, it's at a the premium end of the day. brand, right? It's exactly. effectively a luxury product. Yeah. Exactly. Not, not as scalable as something where you're looking at Temper Sealy, very common brand of mattresses that people are bringing into their homes. Not going to work if it starts to actually impact the cost of the product. Yeah, unquestionably. Yeah, that's a great observation because you're right. Where they are premium luxury brands, there's a lot more, a uh, lot less margin pressure um, in terms of relative dollars if you, if you build it as you talked about. Strangely, um, as the economy slows, which it is unquestionably doing in the United States and, and uh, in many, many areas around the world, luxury brands, some of these companies, you want to talk about a whiplash effect, they will yeah. have just built up a supply chain and a supply for products that will have less demand as the economy slows. So that is super risky. This is, you know, as we have this discussion, Kelly, I'm um, very aware that in supply chain, we have made our job, 
we have made our practice by looking backwards and hoping that predicts the future. Yes. But the truth is, you know, as investment people love to say, past performance is no indication of future value. <laughs> right? Yes. And I think that's something, that's something that really needs to change. And in some cases, I see it changing. I think Temper Sealy on, on, from one aspect, from a s- sourcing aspect, they have changed to trying to look more towards the future and, you know, and predict why things are happening and what's coming. But at the same time, there are some aspects of the business that will remain laggard. Yes. And therefore, um, you know, subject them to great risk. So it's not an easy transition. It's not really anybody's fault, but it is nonetheless a transition that we need to make both in the procurement and in the in the supply chain. If you as you if you insist on separating them, Kelly. <laughs> I know we're just cousins. I get it. <laughs> so let me pause here and, and pull in a few comments from the audience. Yeah. Um, totally agree with this, Kevin. As Greg said, you cannot hide from your contribution to the disruption. Even if you can hide your inventory on somebody else's balance sheet, you have to own the role that you played and in, in bringing that about. Yeah. And a hello from Peter Bolay. Oh, all, all night, night and all day. All day. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Glad you're here with us. And then, of course, I would be remiss. Scott thinks I'm doing a good job. Thank you, Scott. No pressure knowing you're watching. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think you're doing great, Kelly. Well, thank you. And, and it was a French shoe company. I'm glad I didn't guess because I was going to guess German. So glad I knew it was European. Um, so it was great article in the in the Saturday Wall Street Journal. If you have access, go back and read that. But eliminating two thirds of a product. I mean, that is a complete and total, that's not even a redesign. That's a brand new product that you're inventing yeah. and designing from the ground. That's an up. Excellent point. Excellent point. I, you know, and I think, um, you know, the other thing that, um, that Sealy is doing that I think is, is important is that they are, they have, I've completely lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry that that statement has really got me thinking about other things, but, I think that what's um, important is that these companies are innovating, right? Yes. Oh, this is the other thing is secondary sourcing. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be reshored. You can, and and this isn't something that has occurred in retail and in distribution for a long, long time. For instance, in the food industry, you might get some of your oranges from this farm, maybe even 90%, but you keep this farm. Yeah. 10% 10% on the hook, knowing that they can ramp up and you maintain a relationship, which I know is important, Kelly, right? You maintain a relationship where when times get tough and these folks over here can't fulfill yeah. your demand, you can go to somebody else and say, hey, we need you to ramp up and fill the gap. And they are more than happy to do so, right? Because you've proven to them that they're a valued provider and they see some upside, not just temporarily, but of course, temporarily, but not just yes. temporarily. But if they understand, just like many companies are starting to understand, if a company's supply chain becomes unreliable, people are going to look to move the other direction. So um, I think that's something that we need to consider also. Even if that secondary sourcing is a little bit higher price, you blend that into the risk of your supply chain, right? Yeah. And that's one that procurement has to own. Because for so many years, the whole focus was price 
Yes, the rumors are true. All we cared about was the price of the stuff that we bought. I'm owning that on, on live video. That's that's what we did. But in order to do that, you had to leverage as much of your volume as you could through, ideally, a single source in many cases. Yeah. And that gave you yep. no backup, right? Because companies aren't taking on new customers when things are bad system-wide. So um, absolutely understanding the potential of paying a little bit more to your ability to ward off disruption. It's a much more complicated calculation, but we should be at the point where we're expected to be able to make that kind of business case to pay a little bit more to keep the operation running. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and manufacturers can afford it because those few points of margin that they lose by having a secondary option are much many fewer points they than they lose by losing a unit of sales. Yes. Right? Because you lose every point of margin if you lose yes. sales. So And it seems like a good question to, to ask that. when you're selecting a manufacturer to partner with. Yeah. Find out how they're managing their sourcing. You know, when you send out that RFP and you're asking questions, don't just ask all the boilerplate stuff. Find out because you're really dependent on their investment in their supply chain for them to be able to do what you need them to do for you. So asking that question right up front, I think you're going to uncover some differentiators that we might have not thought to ask about in the past. Agreed. Eliminate those blind spots. That's great. That's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Strategy. So let me move us to the third story. You talked about food earlier, Greg. Always. So, always. <laughs> so food with ketchup, hopefully, was, was part of your plan. Um, <laughs> always. This is a, <laughs> ketchup on everything. Um, Interesting article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette um, talking about Kraft Heinz. Now, they're saying in the article that they're using the metaverse right. to optimize their supply chains and their production. They're really talking about digital twins. So they've got sort of a, a mocked out virtual production areas and data sets that they've been able to recreate so that they can scenario play and see what will happen with this kind of disruption. Where can we be more efficient there? Of course, the cool way now to say that is that you're optimizing your supply chain in the metaverse. And right. they've partnered with Microsoft to do this, which a little bit of a concern. This is sort of like when you go look at the USFL and their top two highlights are, what was it, a field goal and a field fumble? Field goal and a fumble, yeah. <laughs> so Okay, so maybe the use of metaverse as your field goal. Microsoft? Might be your fumble, um, but they basically want to be able to simulate how things are happening in their warehouses to ensure that they're operationally ready. Any experience with companies pushing into either the metaverse or if they're cool um, or simply using digital twins to, to figure out how they should be ready to handle disruption? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have a friend who's got a company that does exactly that. They model your production. Mostly it's uh, picking and warehousing environments, but they they model it um, and then they can show you what the change of shelving strategies, manpower, um, robotics, all of those things could be on, on your supply chain by doing that. And that's exactly what they're doing uh, at Kraft Heinz. Uh, and which, by the way, to me is one of the um, most important products. Heinz ketchup is one of the most important products. This is a sad statement on, on my life, <laughs> Kelly, but I am a ketchup connoisseur. I have actually been blind taste tested 
and by a buddy of mine who owns a restaurant. He said, no way you can tell the difference between ketchups. And I could not only tell him which one was Heinz blindfolded, I could tell him the brand of one of the others who, who he taste tested with. Now, that being said, Kelly, I also had a, a bottle of Heinz with my uh, um, fries and my chicken wings last night, which are still grossly expensive. Um, you didn't dip them in the even ketchup, Heinz did you? Is, what's that? Please tell me you didn't dip the catch- chicken wings in the ketchup. Oh, gosh, no, no, no. Just, okay. the, just okay. the fries. All right. Just the fries. Yeah. Uh, steak fries, which are my favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyone wonders. Um, but, uh, but Heinz could probably use the metaverse or digital twins, in my opinion, to make sure that their line changes are a lot more effective because I, again, knowing Heinz ketchup like I do, I tasted flavors that I hadn't tasted before. Interestingly, it was somewhat of a vinegar taste. And in this article, they talk about how the ketchup and vinegar are made in the same factories on the same lines. So, um, and you know, that's a sub, you know, that's, uh, I'm sure that's a condition of shortage of labor and all of these other things that companies, I've actually had that experience with many, many other products. So noticing some sort of taste overlap. Yeah. No, but I'll be honest. I don't have a particularly sensitive palate, Mm. especially when it comes to like ketchup. (laughs) I will say I was impressed with them. And I remember reading this back during the pandemic that they were able to pivot. And instead of doing sort of the restaurant packaging of their ketchup, they were able to seamlessly pivot to the little packets that you'd want to send home with like in a takeout box. I mean, it seems relatively simple. Like just put it in the little packet instead of putting it in the bucket or however they send it to restaurants. Right. Pretty sophisticated difference. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think um, I love that what I think is fascinating about this is that we're now calling it the metaverse. Frankly, if that's the case, then whoever claims to have invent- invented the metaverse didn't even invent it because digital twins have been around for nigh on a decade. And and if it, I get this, this is marketing, right? The terminology yes. here is marketing. But if the metaverse can be used for something productive besides gaming, and people who don't want to meet people but do want to meet virtual people, <laughs> then I'm all for it. So, um, and, and ultimately, it is not a duplicate of a real life, but it is, uh, you know, it is a, kind of an inside track to an alternate reality that um, ca- can be, as we compelled people to be on the last article, can be predictive of how the world, how your factories, how your uh your labor and teams will respond to changes, potential changes into the future. And every one of those insights, as they talk about in this article, every one of those insights is valuable to go, oh, we wouldn't have known we had that problem until we ran the production line. That's right. Right. So, And I actually think there's probably a lot to be learned in the process of modeling, right? Because we talk about some of the issues of I don't know if it's perspective bias or thought bias or whatever it is when we're modeling things out to be able to use AI and machine learning, right? There's, there's biases that end up getting coded into these programs. Mm-hmm. You still have to design your operation in the metaverse in order to run these scenarios. And what are you hopefully objectively open to learning from the process of modeling even before you start running scenarios? 
Mm. That objective openness is really, really critical. It yes. really is because you can turn, and we've seen we see it all the time, and in business, you can turn what you believe into the truth or yeah. the truth into what you believe if you just believe it hard enough. And I think you're right that hopefully this starts to open people's eyes and minds to um, to. Scott just sent me a text message and he's having wings and hot and, and fries <laughs> for lunch. Um, um, so you open their, their minds and their ideas and yeah. even their perspectives to new ways of doing things. And I think that's real. That is, man, that is, as Scott would say, that's a t-shirt is Kelly. Well said. Absolutely. And let me pull in a couple of comments here. Cause we've actually had some really interesting comments come in while we were talking. Um, Dr. Rhonda, I love this point. Single source for anything we need is not helpful in the long haul. Diversify your personal and professional life. All the different relationships matter, especially when we are in a pickle. Amen. Hopefully, Heinz pickle. Um, <laughs> but absolutely, it's it's diversifying relationships as much as it is diversifying where we get things from, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and early in... Uh, the pandemic lockdowns and all of that sort of thing, someone brilliant in in procurement said, now it's too late to make friends. You know, that's much, that's just a fraction of a much larger discussion. But if you have mistreated or ignored or, or, you know, otherwise been other than friendly with your trading partners, (laughs) now is not the time when you're in a pickle is not the time to ask someone for a leg up, right? So no, uh, and I think also every category is now HR, right? Every single category <laughs> of spend thought about that. now has an HR component. There, there is no longer. I think janitorial service is the best example that I've heard anybody talk about. You know, okay. that used to be a relatively spec and cost based service, but now it determines: Do people feel safe coming in your facility? are people actually safe coming in your facility? Right. Right. It's now a very different kind of game. So some of the things that we've learned, hopefully we're going to keep those as part of our thought process. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, I mean, this is not to get too far off topic here, but I think we have been a little bit uh, Wild West-ish with safety in the workplace, right? I mean, think about how many times I mean, early in our careers, Kelly, people used to think they were a hero if they came to work sick. That's Personally, right. Personally, and in companies I've run, I, I never felt that way. Um, <laughs> and I would, I mean, I would ruthlessly send people home. Do not mm. get the entire office sick. That does not make us better as a company, right? Um, but we seem to have largely ignored that and rewarded, as, as we've heard from from Mike Griswold, rewarded the arsonist in some case, that hero that came in and got the entire office sick, right? But I think a lot of that stemmed from the fact that in the past, it was very difficult for many companies to allow someone or to enable someone to work from home. Yeah. Um, So hopefully that's another thing that's changed that allows us to be handle that, that aspect of safety in the workplace as well. Yeah. Well, speaking of making people sick, uh, Josh is sharing, he's with me on the limited appropriate use of ketchup. Worst business dinner I've ever had was when I watched my boss put ketchup on his medium well steak. For, worst in two measures. <laughs> First of all, a medium well steak tells you that it wasn't a good steak. And two, ketchup, although I have to say my favorite football player ever, Patrick Mahomes, 
until he actually moved to Kansas City, ate ketchup on his steaks, and he learned that in Texas. Shame on you, Texans. Interesting. I would think it would be hot sauce from Texas. No? Apparently not. Well, the production team has Josh's back. Josh, you were too good for that treatment. Don't don't you take that happy ending to the story, <laughs> Another HR issue. <laughs> this is an HR issue. You go fill out the form. My boss made me watch him eat a steak with ketchup on it. And fortunately, Josh took the day. He's still at the company. The Very boss cool. left, probably terminated by HR for putting ketchup on his steak and exposing employees to that sort of abuse. <laughs> That's right. He was probably fired. <laughs> he probably was fired. Um, all right, Greg. So we got another story, and you talked a little bit earlier about the the war in Ukraine. I think a lot of people personally feel feel very strongly. Um, I, I thought this so. was a great example of the power of supply chains. Uh, so oh, we've yeah. got some Ukrainian denial of service attacks, specifically targeting Russia's vodka supply chains. Yeah, um, this is from an InfoSec magazine. Um, it's, it's basically the system that you have to log into as a distributor before you can move product out to retail and out to restaurants. Uh, you have to file paperwork before you can move the alcohol. And basically they attacked that system so that the inventory was there and the demand was there, but they weren't actually allowed to move any of it over, which you just have to love that. Don't you? You do, love, you do have to love that. I- <laughs> I have to say, you know, early in the war, I saw bartenders pouring out vodka that they had already paid Russia for pouring out vodka. And I thought, well, that's not a very good protest or resolution. (laughs) This, on the other hand, and I love the term hacktivists. I do, too. This, this, on the other hand, that I love. Right. (laughs) So you cannot transfer it or get paid for it. That's right until the goods are freed in the, yeah, in the U.S. system. So genius, absolute and, genius. But here's another interesting thing that they talked about. So basically, the actual impact of the hacktivists doing this was pretty contained. I think there was one distributor that couldn't move stuff for a day. You know, people were not running screaming in the streets because they couldn't move the vodka around. It didn't have that kind of an impact. But the article acknowledged the propaganda value of mm-hmm. being able to do this. So while well, you and I would read this story and laugh and absolutely love it, you think about the morale boost that men and women fighting in Ukraine, civilians that are still stuck in Ukraine, right? This is back to this idea that we're in a combination of nation states, groups, companies, wealthy individuals. This is a completely new kind of conflict, including hackers. The hackers right. are now getting involved as well. I just imagine Kevin L. Jackson probably cringing at everything, you know, the fact that we're laughing about this because, you know, that <laughs> that's really his thing. This is yes. still a crime, just to be clear. Absolutely. And it is a crime against the United States, not against Russia. This, this is still a crime. It's still a danger. And what it yes. also reflects is the continued fragility of supply chains, not just because of what the companies control themselves, but their reliance on government programs and yes. and um, regulatory systems to uh, defend against these things. So it is a very serious issue. It's a it, it's a shame, and I hope that it that they take this. I hope that whoever's out there is listening. And they take this in the spirit as, in which it's intended, 
start doing this while the vodka is still in Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's funny. (laughs) If you can do it while they're distilling it, that would be hilarious. We hope that they sit back and think about what they've done. I'm I'm sure that they will. Yes, but since they did it, we can enjoy reading the news story from afar. That's right. Wink, wink. (laughs) Um, So let's do this then. When I think about, again, going back to my working girl philosophy, so clearly almost any system can be hacked with the right Right. motivation, access, and time, right? Now, how does that make us rethink what we just talked about with Kraft Heinz in the metaverse, modeling out all of their supply chains and warehouses and doing this analysis? I mean, to the point about needing objectivity, I would almost think, whether it's the platform that you're using to model or whether it's a consultant or service provider that you've brought in to be that objectivity in doing the modeling process, you've opened yourself up to multiple points of exposure, right? Do How careful do companies need to be about modeling things, especially on external platforms, because they could fall victim to this kind of hacktivism? Yeah, unquestionably. And, you know, this... This has long been a discussion since technology started to move to the cloud. I recall um, when we had a we, when we moved our technology to the cloud in 2011 um, that we had clients who literally said, "I will never use a cloud technology because I know that if it's on my servers, mm-hmm. it's safe." So we created a white hat hacking, not even a team, just one guy. And uh, his ability to hack into someone's home network, their corporate network, um, was much easier than than using our, um, uh, I shan't name, but all the usual suspects, our cloud yeah. network providers. Um, it, it was much easier to do that. So I, I think we have to be aware that as much as, you know, we all love to poke, uh, poke, in the eye and throw stones at Microsoft and Amazon and whom and whomever else, um, that they at least have the wherewithal to be liable for yes. our safety, our virtual safety in the metaverse and and the cloud and wherever else you wanna you wanna call it. But um and I think that's one of the things you have to consider is you have to be aware of the wherewithal, the discipline capabilities and the state of security of anyone that you do business with. So um, if it's easily demonstrated, and in many cases it is, even with small companies, easily demonstrated, um, you need to ask those questions up front. And, you know, and the the real case is um, you, let's say you use Microsoft as a platform or Amazon, you create both a target for yourself because that's who people go after first, but you also put your hands in your, your safety in the hands of people with incredible means, both physically yes. and fiscally, to be able to create safety in the metaverse or the cloud or whatever, um, and and assure that your data remains safe. Yeah. Well, and this is something that we actually discuss all the time in, in procurement is this question of the kind of expertise that needs to exist in-house. Right? And cybersecurity is something that even with the best tools, I would venture to say that even a really good IT person working in a company does not have the bandwidth or experience to focus on ensuring that systems and data remain safe. 
And so if instead you can go to one of these massive cloud hosting platforms, they have an entire team of people that are constantly monitoring not only best practices around closing loopholes and tightening up security, but, you know, we look at this story and say, interesting, right? The supply chain becomes a place that you can disrupt through government systems using a a hack attack, but somebody else is going to read this and say, okay, maybe they noticed some nuance around the way this was used. They're also looking for best practices from hackers so that they can be warding all of that off. I would want to not blindly, but I would want to put my trust and faith in the folks who live all the time learning what's being done by the bad guys, learning best practices being done by the good guys and making sure that the platform is there to protect everybody that's on it. Yeah, I agree. And and as you said, these companies with more wherewithal, they are in the dark web or whatever the heck it's called. Yes. They are in there infiltrating those organizations and understanding, they do understand the trends that are rising. So I was recently at a conference where Homeland Security has people who are infiltrating these these uh, whatever you want to call it networks and syndicates yes. to understand even if they can't preemptively stop them they preemptively understand where they're going what where the trends are heading with the different types of attacks and things like that so they can help companies to defend themselves if if not prevent the attacks yeah begin well with, let me right? go and pull in a few comments here um, Ryan, along with agreeing with us about misuse of ketchup, um, is also agreeing with you about not coming to work sick, right? And so things like rewarding perfect attendance, you are incentivizing people to come to work sick. Good point. Right? I think it's a great point. point. Um, And we also have a couple of comments from Allah. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Um, You know, looking back at what individuals can do through hacking by interrupting these these Russian vodka manufacturers and and transporters, exposing the conflict between the people in power, but then what groups are built up through capitalism. Um, It's the situation we're in today is definitely not as straightforward as it might have been at one time. Yeah, and I think we have to understand that, um, particularly the people in power, Yes. Right. I mean, the old adage is no one is is more slave than than he who he who has complete power. Right. Because you have to maintain that power. Um, But I I think that's the other thing we have to recognize is that politics is expeditious. It's what's easy. It's what's Mm -hmm. popular. It's what's fast. And supply chain is exactly the opposite of that. It's scientific and brute force meet, you know, absolute unflawless uh, performance. So, um, you know, it, it's going to continue to be a, a conflict. And you have to understand that unlike inflation, which is not transitory, politics yeah. is very transitory. And it sort of blows with the women fancy of the people. So that brings us as the people, and in some countries like China and the Soviet, or Russia, did I almost said Soviet Union <laughs> and Russia that people are not only have no control, they have no consequence as, as per the government, right? They don't yes. care about the people at all. Um, and, uh, but in countries where they do like the United States, which, which is a federal Republic, not a democracy, the myth that we keep perpetrating on our children, which is a federal Republic. 
um, and other democratic type uh, nations around the world, that the constituency matters and that the constituency has to, in order for politicians to have a broader, less transitory view, people have to have a broader, less transitory view. And frankly, we've proven over the millennia that that is impossible to, to achieve. So um, we have to acknowledge our part in contributing to some of the dichotomy between the good of the people and the rule of the people. So, um, wow, that was, I didn't mean to go there. Deep but on a Monday. There we go. I'm a political science major. What can I say? <laughs> but we have a, but we have love from yeah. Allah. So thank you for sharing that. We yeah, always like to bring in love. Okay. So apparently we're not totally going to escape. We've still oh, got gosh. Scott listening in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Tell happy day it. after Mother's Day to all of our, our mothers out there. Um, I've actually got some of my Mother's Day swag with me. Uh, those are my Mother's Day tulips. All right. Just in time for, nice. the, for the live stream. Um, I also have a clock. So future episode of This Week in Business History, I will be covering the history of the Avon Company. My grandmother was an Avon lady forever. Oh, mine too. Awesome. Was she really? Yes. That is so cool. Well, you could be a guest. You could come on. We could talk about <laughs> what did your grandmother do with Skin So Soft? Because it had a million and one uses, right? The most valuable <laughs> bug repellent on the planet. So, yes. You yes. did have a little cotton ball, though. That was about the only thing. You couldn't just like, you had to have a little cotton ball to put it on. Um but no, it was a it was a very nice Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers that have that have joined us. Uh, Greg, hopefully you lived up to expectations. And Scott, you're not off the hook on this. Hopefully you guys spoiled um, Vicky and Amanda and had a terrific Mother's Day. Uh, I did my part, and I also was very proud of my daughters who all did their part. So yes, yeah, excellent. At some point, you have to kind of put it on the kids as my. Dad used to say, she's not my mother. <laughs> I mean, right? It's time for you to start buying gifts, kid, was what he meant by that. That's true. That's right. So, and and now as we start rolling forward, I, I do have to point out, we know in supply chain timing is strategic, right? There's a reason Mother's Day comes first. Because Father's Day is either reciprocal giving or it's payback. So you guys are going to find out in June how you actually did on, yeah. on Mother's Day. <laughs> we'll have to, I'll have to come back in June and find out how you actually did on Mother's Day. That's good. Uh, my expectations are very low. Uh, all <laughs> That's probably all good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Thank you, everybody, for joining us for today's live stream. Um, you've seen production has put the links to all of those articles into the comments as you're watching either live or on demand. Go back and read those articles and, and let us know yeah. what points were interesting to you. Um, or if you want to try out my, my working girl philosophy, what connections do you see between those articles? Right. Because just like we connected the Kraft Heinz metaverse over to our, our Ukrainian hacktivist friends doing their little illegal propaganda that is nonetheless very amusing. Uh, there's a lot more connections between these stories than might initially meet the eye. Well, and we didn't plan that, Kelly. I mean, it's no, just the not. discussion of that helps you understand the interconnectedness of supply chain and the various aspects of the world into which supply chain is connected as well. 
right? Absolutely. Because so. at the end of the day, all of it's connected, right? It's all, we're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about war. We're talking about all these different things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All of it's connected. Yeah. And, and that makes it really fun and really difficult to manage because we have to consider things that are not at all within our control. And, but I think the awareness of that is making supply chain professionals that much better than they were. And it's also making other management members who simply said, every concept in supply chain says all of the things being equal, so just get it done. But now they've all realized that all of the things are never equal. No, not even for a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Greg, this was tons of fun. Thank you for Likewise, having me. Thank you. thank you for going to Orlando, Scott. Um, please do not put ketchup on your chicken wings. We'll have to come down there and, and make you stop. Um, but for everybody that joined us live, is listening later, I'm going to give Scott's sign off. Do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Well thank done, you Kelly. so much for being with us, everybody. Have a great rest of your Monday. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.